the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for the Your Personal Bank Show with Ferenc Toth. In an era of chaos, confusion, and craziness, Ferenc is a voice for common sense. As a financial literacy educator, speaker, and entrepreneur, Ferenc cuts through noise to help us understand how current events affect our money, economy, and our freedom. Now, here's Ferenc Toth. Welcome to the Your Personal Bank Show. This is Ferenc. First thing I want to bring up is I want to do a little shout out to all the veterans. Honor Veterans Day, of course. This is a day where uh, America honors the veterans of all wars. Of course, when you listen to this show, Veterans Day might have already occurred because, again, the show is aired nationally uh, across stations literally across the country and different times. Of course, I feel blessed uh, for that reason, but, you know, of course, it's not aired on the same day all the time. But still want to put a shout out out there for the veterans. And I have a kind of an interesting uh, reminiscence or story I can share because I did serve in the U.S. Army. I was in the uh, Old Guard, 3rd U.S. Infantry. I was stationed in Fort Myer, Virginia, which is right outside of D.C. In fact, I could walk to Arlington National Cemetery, and often did, actually. And we, of course, could see uh, Washington, D.C., because we were on the bluffs in Virginia overlooking D.C. So I used to ride my bike to the White House and on the Capitol Mall and places like that quite frequently. But one of the most poignant experiences that I had while I was in the Army and was very touching and moving was on Veterans Day. One of the things that's done a lot of people don't realize this, is there's a big ceremony, of course, on Veterans Day where they lay a wreath on the tomb of the unknown soldier. Lots of dignitaries come. Many, it's one of the busiest days of the year, obviously, for Arlington Cemetery. But one of the things that's done is the flags are, are put out there for those, kinds, those types of events. So the entire um, battalion, which is about 1,000 people, it makes up the old guard. And the old guard, by the way, is the ceremonial unit of the uh, military. We served at the uh, White House a lot of times for arrival ceremonies, visiting dignitaries, presidents, you name it. So, you know, you have the you have the Army Band, you have the Marine Band, you have the Caisson Platoon that's part of these uh, ceremonies, these arrival ceremonies and things like that. 21-gun salutes. Of course, the tomb guards are part of the old guard. They're one of the companies. I was in the same company, but they were a different uh, squad. I was in the Fife and Drum Corps. We dressed in the uh, 1779 Continental Musician uniform, so it was a red coat. Actually, the musicians wore red coats back then uh, because they could be seen in battle. They would play the fife or the drum. You've seen the Revolutionary War, and they would give the, uh, through the music, the different, like, would be the commands for oftentimes for charging, retreating, other types of things on the battlefield. And so it was an interesting duty, and it was an interesting dress because, of course, we had the white powder wigs and the tricorn hats we would wear. I played bugle uh, in the old guard. I also, being a bugler, I also, uh, one of my duties was to play taps at military funerals. So I'd, we would do that quite often also. So it was, that, it was very interesting duty, very unique type of duty that most people do not get 
the opportunity to be a part of. You had to audition. It was an honor to be a part of the old guard, and it's something I cherish and have cherished more over the years as I think back on it, actually, and realizing more and more how much of it was an honor to be a part of that, uh, the spit and polish, if you will. So, But one of the things that with the uh, the special days in Arlington, the entire battalion, like I said, about a 1,000 of us, would go out about, it was usually about 4 in the morning. It was well before sunrise, I know that. And would put we would put flags, little American flags, on each of the gravestones. There's hundreds, several hundred thousand, thousand graves there. So it take, took a couple hours for a thousand soldiers to do that. But then throughout the day, while Arlington is open, then you do one of the duties I had. I was a sergeant. Was I was assigned a jeep and a driver and a couple of runners. Much like if you remember, like the World War II, I would stand with my binoculars. We're driving around Arlington in the jeep. And my job was to spot flags that had fallen over. In other words, all the flags have to be, at, you know, one one boot length apart from the gravestone and straight. And so if a flag got knocked over or was missing or whatever, I, we would slowly drive through Arlington. And I'd notice, you know, 100 feet to the left, there'd be a flag that would be missing or, or you know, out of not standing up straight anymore. And I had two runners in the back of the Jeep. And I'd say 100, 100 feet to the left and... He would run, run, and fix it. And then I noticed another one to the to the right, and another runner would go fix. It. And we would do this all day long. And it was it was an honor to do that type of thing. It was very interesting duty. And of course, being that there were literally tens of thousands of visitors on those days, typically that we would uh, we've got a lot of attention because you know I'm a fully uniform military member on a very poignant day. And people are there honoring, like I said, uh, the veterans of all wars. So it was it was a very humbling experience. And uh, so many people would come up to you and share stories about maybe how they or one of their family members had had served and maybe passed away or been killed in action, all these types of things. And again, it was very, very humbling uh, experience and something I'll never, never forget. So in one respect, you had a sense of power and control and you were in charge of something really important and yet there was so much appreciation from so many people uh again it was humbling it was truly a humbling experience and something that most people don't get the opportunity to to um, um participate in so i'm so glad i did i did that for three years so i got three years <laughs> of it if you've never been to arlington national cemetery or a military ceremony uh cemetery like that especially on a big day like Veterans Day or something, put it on your bucket list. It's one of those things that's very moving, and it will make an impact that uh, you will probably never forget. So, again, I strongly, strongly encourage you to do that. Put it on your bucket list. I just wanted to share that again because it's such a big and important and valuable day. And, again, we're honoring the people that that served uh, to support freedom in our country and I, I discuss that on this radio show so often, and maybe sharing that story a little bit tells you it's the passion sometimes comes out. Sometimes it's a little overwhelming for me even as I think about the freedoms that this country has provided myself and my family, again, being first generation, my dad escaping from the Soviets, literally risking his life to do so. And I just, like I said many times, I'm honoring his memory by do, you know, and his sacrifice. And again, one of the reasons why I served in the military was I wanted to honor that sacrifice and perpetuate that 
to the next generation, for myself, of course, and the next generation. So when I see attacks on our freedoms, that might help you understand a little bit more why more why I get so passionate about about that, because why it's so important to me. I just hate to see a government or anyone for that matter interfering with the freedoms that we so rightly deserve and are given to us by our Constitution. And the other question that comes up so often with the show is, of course, you know, this is a financially focused show. I mean, and, and, and that's that's my intention and still is. And I often get asked, why do I discuss politics? And, and I'm going to discuss some of the recent elections that just occurred. And I often get asked, why I do that? Uh, you know, just stick to money matters and stuff like that. And, and my response is, I'm not really, this isn't a political show. It's a financially focused, money focused show. The problem is, particularly in the last few years, government policies have been impacting our money and our economy so strongly, so so much that I have to discuss these things because it isn't political, it's economic, okay? it's Economic freedom is freedom. I share that all the time. It's in our Constitution. It's in our Declaration, Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness. And I've shared this story before where the founders were discussing Life and liberty were the two that came to him quickly in writing the Declaration, but in their deliberations of what they should say, the pursuit of happiness was the one that was argued about the most because they were trying to settle on the right words. They knew the importance and the significance of this Declaration. Remember, they were declaring freedom from the king. This was an act of tyranny. This, If they were caught, they would have been hung, literally, for treason. This was a really big deal. And they knew it. So the words they chose, they chose very, very carefully. And one of the suggestions, and they almost settled on, was life, liberty, and the uh, ability to own property. In other words, the right, the right to produ- uh, uh, pursue happiness has an economic, uh, economic aspect to it in a major way. Economic freedom, this is something most people have gotten away from or don't realize, is really important. It's powerful, and and the founders understood that. That's why they spent so much time agonizing over what exactly to say. But economic freedom is is a big part of freedom, and without economic freedom, you don't have freedoms. You know, if you're tied or reliant on someone else or the government for for that part, you're not free. You're an economic slave, and there's just no two ways to put it. The Bible itself says that the debtor, is slave to the lender. We all know this instinctually. This is a, something that's extremely important to understand. And so why do I discuss political events? It's because of the policies that the people that get put into these positions of power, of political power, have tremendous impact on our lives, on our economic, our ability to have economic freedom, our ability to earn, how much taxes are going to be, how much do we get to keep, how much do we get to pass on to the next generation, all of those things are impacted and impacted significantly by government policies and the Federal Reserve and all those types of things, which is, frankly, far more political than it should be, in my opinion. My response is, when somebody says, why do you discuss politics? My response is, I'm not discussing politics. I'm discussing economics and money. And if I fail to discuss pol- policies and, pol- and political events and elections and who's actually going to be in charge, 
and again, most most poignantly, what their policies are going to be. If I fail to do that, I'm not doing my job. I'm not educating you on what's really going on to help you make better economic decisions. I'm failing. So I have to discuss those things. It's not something I really want to necessarily a lot of the time because a lot of what the government does is extraordinarily frustrating to me because most of what they do, I believe, is detrimental to economic freedom and just gets in the way. So for me, it's a frustration, and that's why many times I don't really want to discuss it, but I feel like I'd be doing you a disservice otherwise. So again, I just wanted to share a little bit from where I'm coming from, uh, uh, from a personal standpoint, why freedom is so important to me, why I did serve in the military, some of the experiences that I had there, also with my family history, like I said, being first generation and my, my dad escaping communism, risking his life to do so, and understanding that economic freedom is freedom and the importance of that is why I share what I share, and I feel like it's, it's just not shared nearly enough, and there's a real lack of financial literacy out there, and this is part of it. I'm going to encourage you to stay tuned in the next segment because I'm going to share some things about the recent elections. It's going to have an economic focus. Probably you haven't heard from probably anyone else and why it's so important. So I'm really going to encourage you to stay tuned. Don't miss it. Stay tuned for more Common Sense from Ferens. For more information, contact Ferens at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show with Ferenc Toth. Want more information? Contact Ferenc at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Now back to the show with Ferenc Toth. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show. Well, in the first segment, I was sharing some personal experiences. And if you miss it, I'm just going to encourage you to go to yourpersonalbank.com, my website. You can listen to this or any of the previously recorded shows. We also have an app, your personal bank app. You can listen anytime. And if you miss it, I think you'll get some real insight and in where I'm coming from and what my perspective is and why I, as with a financial focus and discussing political events like the recent election, I think you'll have a much better understanding. So anyway, again, elections have consequences. I mean, it's really simple. Look at the most major cities in America today. Many of them have been run by Democrats for decades. Crime is rampant. Businesses are closing. People are leaving in droves. Folks, policies matter, and they affect our money. And my question is really quite simple. Do we want these policies to expand to the rest of the country? These policies that have been in place and going on in these major cities, again, often now for decades. You know, I, for one, do not. I do not want to see what's happened in San Francisco, for example, to expand throughout the country. That would be a horrendous detrimental effect for most Americans, and it would affect us economically in major ways, in major ways negatively. So it's a fact in these past elections, the RNC chair, Rona McDaniel, has underperformed in the last four elections, 2018, 2020. The 2022 red wave, quote-unquote, did not happen, and and this most recent one in 2023. Now, when a CEO underperforms, typically they're replaced. You know, when a coach consistently loses, they're usually fired. And as I've stated earlier, political office holders affect us and our money 
and our freedoms, our life for that matter, far more than the CEO of any individual company or any coach for that matter. Why do we allow Ronna McDaniel to keep losing and keep her job? The reality is she needs to resign. That would be the best result that could happen. New blood, new energy, new ideas are needed to stop losing elections. And if she chooses not to resign, much like in the Speaker of the House fight that occurred recently, and there were pu- the public pressure was kept on our elected representatives till they finally settled on somebody who is probably doing more to represent people than any speaker we've had in a long time, we need to keep the public pressure on the RNC to re- well on Ronna McDaniel in, per- in particular to resign. She needs to go. Who should replace her? Well, in my opinion, I've heard a lot of people discuss a lot of different people. And frankly, most of those options would be far superior to what Ronna McDaniel has done. Uh, it's hard to think that they could be worse, frankly. But I think the choice of who should take over is obvious. I mean, Harman, Harmeet Dillon, she was the second leading vote getter for the RNC chair back in January. She's the state RNC chair for the state of California. She's had great energy, great ideas. She's, got, she's gotten results in a very tough place, California, for Republicans, certainly. And she wants the job. My career have hired a number of employees and uh, recruited and hired a number of agents and things like that. And one of the no- anyone who recruits or interviews people knows that one of the number one characteristics that you want to have for that candidate, ob- it's obvious that they need to have the skill set, okay? But the, one of the number one things you're really looking for, for is how bad do they want this job? What's their passion? What's their desire? What are they, how badly do they want it? Because if somebody has a strong desire and passion for a particular position, it's far more likely that they're going to do a good job and do, do a great job, in fact. You know, I've had a number of people recommend other, other folks out there, but those folks have not expressed any interest in being the RNC chair. They may be highly qualified, highly skilled, highly impressive people. In fact, you know, I've heard some people talk about Vivek, for example, potentially as an RNC chair, and he might be a great one. Don't get me wrong. He's smart. He's talented. He's, he's got a lot of great ideas. He's young. He's got a lot of energy. But is he st- he's running for president right now. Now, do I believe he's going to win the nomination? No. But his focus is elsewhere. His focus is he's never expressed any interest in running the RNC. In fact, recently in the last debate, he also called out, much to his credit, Ronna McDaniel needing to resign. Now, he didn't put in any pitch for himself to take over. Again, his focus is to run for president. My point is, as talented, as skilled as a person like Vivek is, great at communication, he's run multiple large businesses and all that, he has to want the job to do a good job. And Harmeet has done the job on a state level with a large state, California, but has expressed and wants the job. I think she's the obvious choice. She's got the experience. She's got the ideas. She's got the energy. And most importantly, she wants the job. Another person I've heard brought up is Scott Pressler. Now, if you don't know who Scott is, I'm going to really encourage you to look him up on social media. Scott's an impressive person, and I like Scott a lot. In fact, he's the most, probably the most successful individual in the country right now leading grassroots efforts to increase Republican voter registration and get out the vote efforts. My opinion is he's young. 
lots of energy, great ideas, very effective. But he doesn't have experience running a large organization like the RNC. What I do believe would be a great position for him. I think he'd be a great RNC chair in the future, just not today. We need somebody with experience, new ideas, energy, and wants the job. Harmeet fits all that. But I believe Scott should be in charge of efforts with the Republican National Committee in terms of grassroots increasing voter registration and get out the voter. I think he would be great at that. He's, again, one of the most effective in the country doing that. And and another failure of Ronald McDaniel has been that Scott Pressler has offered to help the RNC with voter registration and get out the vote efforts at no cost. He's actually, I've seen it myself, he's reached out publicly on social media now for over 200 days in a row, offering his expertise and help and working together at no cost to the RNC without a response from Ronald McDaniel. That is a total and complete failure on her part. When you have somebody who's on your side or who wants the same result, we'll put it that way, and they're talented and they've got the knowledge and they're getting results and you just ignore them, that is a lack of leadership. Obviously, she either doesn't care or she doesn't really want to be more effective or there's jealousy there. None of those things need to be in place. She should be embracing his experience, his knowledge, his energy, and helping get more Republicans registered to vote, for example, and encourage increased turnout. Because those are things I've not seen the RNC do at all, hardly, if, if at all. Yet he's been doing it. The, these are people with energy and talent and ability and want to do it, and they're not tapping that. That's on Ronna McDaniel. That's her failure as a leader. Now, another failure for Ronna McDaniel is RNC donations are at record lows. Both the grassroots and large donors are not supporting the RNC because they see it's ineffective. And this level of inefficiency, ineffectiveness, has to be really one of two things. Either she's completely and totally inept at our job. No, she's just terrible. Or it's intentional. You know, when Biden first got into office and his actions that he was taking was one after another after another was bad for the economy, bad for the country, bad for the average American. And so many people, including myself initially, just said, is this guy just really that inept, that ineffective? And over time, eventually, you start to realize as they continue to do these same things over and over again, it's intentional. See, I hate to say this, but my opinion is Ronald McDaniel is um, compromised. She's much like many of the rhinos where she's her job is not to really win. Her job is to or to be the opposition party, but she's compromised. She just wants to be liked. It almost it's like a subsidiary of the Democratic Party. You, yeah, you can do your thing and and do a little bit here and there, but uh, it's like having a uh, an opponent who's not trying to win that hard. I heard a great analogy. If anybody follows sports and the NFL in particular. It's well known there's some teams that just don't like to spend money and are just not that focused on winning. They still have great fan bases. They still make a lot of profits. Uh, the Cardinals used to be that way for many years. Uh, the Bears are that have been that way. The family owns it. They enjoy the, the trappings and the luxuries of owning an F, NFL team, and they're very profitable, but they spend as little as possible so they can keep more of the profits because they're really not focused on winning. And, you know, that's... They, they can, a football team can do that. The owner can do that. They have the right. It's frustrating if you're a fan of that team. 
Well, again, this is far more important because these are the things that affect our lives. And again, why am I so concerned? Well, the last thing I want is an ineffective RNC contributing to another four years of Biden. You know, based on what's happened for the past three years, we have generational inflation, record government spending, limited energy, open borders, record crime, failed foreign policy, and endless wars. You know, if Biden gets reelected, I don't know that we'll recognize our country five years from now, because if he gets reelected, we still got another year of the Biden administration. We get four, another four more. That's five more years. Look what they've done in three years. Give them another five. What do you think is going to happen? What do you think things are going to look like? You know, I believe if Biden's reelected, the economic situation is going to get far more dire for many more Americans. It's going to be a very, very challenging time, and it's only going to get worse, not better. And most polls back that. I'm not the only one that thinks that way. You know, here's some of the things that we're dealing with right now, and there are solutions. There's some good news from it. There's ways to thrive. I'm going to be happy to share some of those with you in the show. But another example is credit card debt is now at all-time highs officially. In fact, credit card balances rose another $48 billion increase in the past quarter. And they're up $154 billion from this time last year, which is the largest year-over-year spike increase in credit card debt since 1999. So we're talking about the largest percentage of increase of credit card debt in over 20 years. And why is all this credit card debt rising? It's because Americans are struggling to pay for their basic living expenses. Food, clothing, housing, energy, all, it's, all those things are more expensive. They're about, depending on what you're talking about, a good 20% higher than they were a couple of years ago. And people are having to pay for that. And that is going to have a major negative effect on our economy because about two-thirds of GDP, gross domestic product, is consumer spending. If the consumers are running out of money, what's going to happen to the economy? Stay tuned in the next segment. I'm going to share with you some solutions on this. I've got a few more, a little bit more bad news, of course, but I'm going to share some solutions with you also, so stay tuned. Stay tuned for more common sense from Ferens. For more information, contact Ferens at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show with Ference Toth. Want more information? Contact Ference at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Now back to the show with Ference Toth. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show. This is Ference. So in the last segment, in the end of the last segment, you heard me share that credit card debt has now crossed an all-time high threshold. We have more credit card debt in this country at any time in the history of our country, and we had the largest increase of credit card debt percentage-wise in the past year that we've had since 1999, so in over 20 years. And again, people, why, people don't take on credit card debt voluntarily, typically, because again, they're struggling to pay down the balances. Why? Everything costs more, and wages haven't kept any up anywhere close to the increases, the inflation increases, 
of basic goods, food, clothing, housing, energy, okay? Well, another, another issue here is I, I've been sharing this in the show the last couple of weeks, and, again, if you missed it, I'm going to strongly encourage you to go to the yourpersonalbank.com website or your personal bank app. You can go there and listen to any of the previously recorded shows. Each has its own topic. Last couple of weeks, I've been sharing a lot about the government debt and the increase of interest payments on that debt and, and why that's why that's going to be so much concern going forward. It's going to have a real strong impact on our economy, folks. It turns out now in here in October of 2023, U.S. debt interest payments have now passed $1 trillion annually. I stated a few weeks ago that it was going to be over a trillion. It's happening actually even faster than what I was saying. And the increase in the cost of debt has actually doubled in the last 19 months for two reasons. One, the federal debt keeps increasing because our federal government keeps spending far more than it than it receives. And secondly, interest costs on that debt have increased significantly because of the higher interest rates. I discussed this a week or two ago, how the government should have sold more longer-term bonds when interest rates were at historical lows, much like a person refinancing a mortgage when interest rates are at an all-time low, so you can lock in that lower interest rate and lock in paying less interest for a long period of time. The government could have done the same thing with its bonds that it was selling, but chose not to, and now it's rolling over those bonds, those shorter-term bonds, into the new interest rates that they're facing now, and it has caused the interest on the debt to double in the last 19 months. Now, folks, the federal government is the largest debtor in the history of the world, period. This will have some major impacts. Let me give you another one. As this other article discusses, it says if the 23 per- – so this is, this is crazy. The deficit has increased 23% over the last year, Okay. But as they're stating, the Treasury is stating, and not only is that not bad enough, over the past six months, they've borrowed now enough money that it's nearly doubling the deficit just in the past six months, which, by the way, is 50% more than previously estimated by the Con- Congressional Budget Office. In other words, they're looking at a deficit now borrowing at $3 trillion this fiscal year. Last year, one of my previous shows I shared this, the deficit was $1.7 trillion. okay? That's bad enough. It's almost an all-time record. But this year, this fiscal year, is on track to be $3 trillion. In other words, they're going to be spending $3 trillion more than they brought in. In other words, this debt spiral is starting to accelerate, as I stated it would, and been stating that for quite some time. Again, there's some solutions, so stay, stay with me. I'm going to encourage you to do that, but I need to share with you what the problem is first and bring in the receipts. Here's another one. Again, with the increase in interest, there's a lot number of folks, number of leading economists, business people, investors. Uh, in fact, the bond king, Jeffrey Gundal- Gundlock is his name. He's kind of known. He's stating that he's warning that higher interest rates, we're going to have higher interest rates for longer. So it's becoming increasingly clear to Wall Street interest rates are going to have to stay higher for longer because this interest on the debt is going to force interest rates up. Again, for for bond buyers to purchase a bond, they're going to have this is we're seeing this happen already. The the government has to offer higher and higher interest rates to entice people to buy these bonds as they continue to print more and more money and borrow more and more money. 
the risk increases for these bond buyers. So they, they are forced to offer more, higher interest rates. Well, they're the biggest debtor in the world. If the government's in offering a higher interest rate, interest rates on everything else is going to increase. It's going to affect everything else that's going to force it up. And as he stated, he believes the higher for longer interest rates could likely trigger the next financial crisis. So what they're looking at is this next recession that we're very likely headed into is going to be caused by all this interest, these higher interest rates. And that's the point that they're trying to make here. And as he, as he stated, the current federal deficit is completely unsustainable in the current interest rate environment. It's turning into a debt spiral. Okay, and let me give you a couple more, and then I'll get into some solutions. Again, not to depress you, but I want you to know the facts. Higher for longer interest rates. This is what article after article and and expert after expert is is sharing with us. And I guess it comes down to like this one it says, why aren't you know so many billionaires now coming out so convinced the U- U.S. economy is going to break? Again, it's the inability of this this debt spiral, the interest. What what's going to happen? Well, I'm going to get to that. Like I said, he's going to we're going to have a hard landing. Is the prediction. Uh, we're going to have a recession. Many of these billionaires, just understand, became wealthy through their businesses and an easy monetary policy. And this kind of gets to the solution. In cheap or low interest rate environment, business tends to thrive because the cost of money is cheap. It's easy to expand your business, grow your business, all those kinds of things. And in that low interest rate environment, many of these billionaires, their businesses increased in value exponentially even. So they were able to really grow their businesses significantly. A lot of people blame the tax code. I've heard this many times and all this uh, for, you know, tax cuts for the rich and all these things. You hear these political statements. Folks, that really, that, that's, not, that's not the reason why most of these billionaires became multi-billionaires, okay, why they w- did so well. It was the low interest rate environment. The Federal Reserve did far more to assist them to grow their businesses than the federal government did with tax rates. The low cost of money, it's really quite simple. The cheap cost of money, it was easy to borrow, easy to access money and grow your business and sell more widgets, okay? Whatever, whatever it is you did, whatever the product or service was you offered, it was easy to expand upon that. We're now seeing a situation because of the higher interest rate environment. On average, as they pointed out, cor- corporate profits are dropping by about 20%. So the typical company is now making about 20% less profit than it was a year or two ago. So their predictions are less profits, higher cost of doing business, more difficulty to grow or expand your business or even maintain. Uh, We're going to see increase in bankruptcies as their predictions. Many of these uh, billionaires are sharing. Uh, We're going to see an increase in the uh, jobless rates. Uh, They're going to lay people off as their costs continue to go up. It's just a natural pattern of what happens. This stuff doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. But we're seeing, and they are predicting, a a gradual, steady deterioration of the economy. And that's why they're, they're decidedly more panicked. And like what this article says, do they know something the rest of us don't? Yeah, I believe they do. I mean, these are, they didn't become billionaires in most cases by accident. They understood the economy. They understood business. They understand the costs. Uh, they understand how these things go. And and there's some other things I'm going to share, you know, as we go forward in the next segment, I'm going to share that are 
um, eye-opening in the real estate world, but I want to focus on the on the uh, stock market and business side world for a moment more because value of a stock it doesn't all I mean their true value of a stock is what somebody else is willing to pay for it I mean that's let's just be real right that's I mean that's that's true for any asset actually but typically speaking in a higher interest rate environment in a more uh, restrictive environment for monies and your corporate profits dropping like they're saying in for about 20 percent so far you're going to see lower stock prices. That's going to be make the stock market difficult. It's going to be more difficult for it to grow. And that's why, like I, one of these other articles, one of these other billionaires are talk, discussing how uh, the S&P 500 probably is not going to go anywhere for an extended period of time. Now, they didn't say exactly, but that's their prediction. And, again, based on a higher interest rate environment, that's a very, very likely scenario. You know, I get asked all the time, these types of think questions, and one of the, my responses is quite simple. I just get people to think, okay? And I say the last decade, no question, was statistically one of the best decades in the history of the stock market. You could say the same thing about the real estate market. What drove that? What was the number one driver of that? Quite simply, the driver was low cost of money, easy monetary policy, low interest rates, with low interest rates, most people understand real estate thrives. The value values go up. Same thing with business. When the cost of money goes up, that that's a deterrent. That's a negative effect to business, real estate, those types of things. Whenever there's a winner, there's also a loser. What struggled in the last decade and and really fell out of favor? Any fixed in, fixed uh, instrument, financial instrument. That would be things like bank money and bonds and annuities and dividends, things like that. The personal bank I discuss all the time, still paying 575 insured, guaranteed, and tax-free, which is nice, but that's at, an, that's at a historical low. We're talking a multi, multi-decade low because of the low interest rates. We all know that a year or two ago, you couldn't, you couldn't get 1% in a bank anywhere. Didn't matter how much money you put in there, right? Today, you can find bank accounts of 4% and higher. You've seen that change just in a year or so. That's a dramatic change. That's a quadrupling or more of returns. So what's going to thrive going forward? That's the education that I've been trying to really put out there for folks and help them really understand and making decisions. Look, the economy has changed, not a little bit, a lot, dramatically. The interest rates have gone up dramatically. We all know that you know you could get a 30-year fixed mortgage for even under 3% for a while if you had good credit. Today, they're around 8%. That's more than doubling. And that has a massive impact, particularly on a, like a 30-year loan, like a 30-year fixed mortgage. The amount of interest you pay at 8% is dramatically higher. It's way more than double of what you were paying at, say, 3%. Okay, so it has a huge impact. We've had such a change, you need to change with it. Stay tuned in the next segment. I'm going to share with you, I promise, some of the things you can do and some of the solutions to help you thrive in this new economic climate. Stay tuned for more Common Sense from Ferrans. For more information, contact Ferrans at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show with Ferenc Toth. Want more information? Contact Ferenc at 
866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Now back to the show with Ference Toth. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank show. This is Ference, and I promise that I'm going to share some thoughts on how to thrive in this new economic climate with high interest rates, most likely higher for longer. Before I get there, I promise I'll get there, but I have one last thing I need to share. That's real estate. Real estate has been a bright spot, and it's been hanging hanging in there, if you will, been staying tough far more than the, than the stock market. Uh, even though interest rates have gone up, a lot of people thought uh, real estate prices would start dropping, and, and the primary reason they have it are twofold. It's a lack of inventory, but the primary reason why there's such a lack of inventory, there's two reasons, is new home building has been not at levels it should have been for the past decade plus, since really since 08, 09. And the other reason is so many people locked in those low interest rate mortgages. They, they ain't moving because they understand if they do, they're going to have to take on a new mortgage more than double the interest rate of what they're in now. So there is a lack of inventory. Given even that, with the limited existing home inventory, we are starting to see some real cracks in the real estate market. And here's one of them. In the month of October 2023, we saw nearly 7% of homes in the U.S. posted a price drop. An average month is 3.6, so it's about double, actually, of what is a normal month. And it comes close to the, to the numbers we saw back in 08, 09, where prices were dropping in a big way. You know, those, those, that time of period is, was 7 8% a month of the houses on the market were dropping their prices. So we're starting to see rates we haven't seen in 20 years of price drops. It's kind of like a Mexican standoff, if you will, or a game of chicken right now between the buyers and the sellers. The, the buyers are not wanting to buy because the prices are, are historically high and the interest rates are too. So that's a double whammy causing them to say, nope, I'm going to hold off on that. And from a buyer standpoint too, even Zillow came out recently and said, any home you purchase on average since July of 2023, it would take you, thir- their estimate is it's going to take 13 and a half years for their, for their house to break even in value because of the high costs and high interest rates. Even they're predicting an, an adjustment of the prices. Now, am I, say, am I saying we're going to see something like we saw in 08, 09? Probably not because, again, the inventory is not where it was then. They had excess inventory, supply, demand, basic economics 101, right? But we have other factors that are impacting, again, the high prices and the high interest rates. The buyers are just saying no. And then the folks that are selling are not wanting to sell there because, again, if they sell their home, if they have a mortgage and they sell their home now, uh, they're going to have to lock into a much higher mortgage in the future. What's going to cause this to break? Well, the, the break point is going to be really simple. When people are forced to sell because they can't afford their mortgage anymore. What causes that? Loss of income, job losses, business losses. What causes those things? Bad economy, recession. Like I said, I've done several shows on all the leading, in, many of the leading economic indicators, and I shared earlier in this show a number of billionaires talk, discussing about they, they expect an impending recession coming very soon. If that indeed does occur, and all the, all the indicators are pointing towards it, frankly, then we're going to see an adjustment, a correction in the real estate market because there will then be sellers who will be forced to sell because they can't make their mortgage payment. 
and they're going to have to downsize or whatever. They're going to have to do something different, and then that will force prices to start going down. That's that's what a lot of people, that's Zillow and all them, are actually predicting. But I'm going to give you another one that's eye-opening and a lot of people are not paying attention to. It's the commercial real estate market. You see, COVID shutdowns has dramatically changed that market. Commercial real estate was for decades considering, you know, one of the best areas to be in. And it, it was. And particularly smaller and regional banks invested, many, many of their loans were, given, were for commercial property, okay? So many smaller regional and local banks are heavily invested in commercial real estate and office space and all that. And the vacancy rates are starting to hit record highs because people aren't going into work every day like they used to. And that's probably never going to come back. In other words, a lot of people still work from home or at least part-time work from home. So these office spaces, particularly these companies that have lots of employees, are seeing the benefits, the cost savings, and they don't have a need for these, uh, this office space anymore. For example, in New York, the vacancy rate right now is 19.2%, which is very, very close to the record high vacancy rates that occurred in both 86 and 1991. Those, in New York, those were two major recessions that New York went through. They're right at those levels at, at the moment. They've just been dealt another blow. WeWork is a company that's it's shared office space company just filed bankruptcy, and they leased nearly 7 million square feet of office space in New York City, which turns out to be 60, <laughs> represents 61% of the market. The company that's leasing over half of the office space in the, in the city has just filed bankruptcy, and they're in the process through the bankruptcy move of shedding unprofitable and largely non-operational leases. They're going to be dumping a bunch of these which means a bunch of office space is going to be freed up and the vacancy rate is probably going to hit all-time highs. Why is this so important? Well, for the individual companies, that could be anyone who's a landlord or owner of this commercial real estate is going to struggle for sure. They're they're in trouble. Also, many of the regional banks are too because so many of their loans are tied up in these. And we're going to see some real challenges in the banking industry in the next year or two because of these bad failed loans on this commercial property, these loans are going to fail. It's going to have a, a devastating impact on the economy. You know, in 08, 09, the Great Recession, we had the Lehman Brothers failure and things like that. I would, I'm not trying to be a fear monger here. I'm not, I'm not trying to scare people. I'm trying to educate and give you the facts. I would not be surprised if we see similar type things occur in the next couple of years, particularly in the banking industry and most particularly in regional and smaller banks that will have a ripple effect into the rest of the economy. The problem with banks failing is when banks fail, they impact the uh, economics of all the other sectors, all the other businesses. So it's the worst one to have the financial sector. When it struggles, it's the worst one to struggle because it affects all the others. Tightens up money, cost of money goes up. Again, pushing interest rates higher for longer. Just another reason for that. Now, as I stated earlier in the last segment, there's a, when there's a losers, there's winners. Who's going to win in this type of economic climate environment? Am I predicting economic chaos and doomsday or, you know, money's not going to be worth anything, all that? No. Will it be worth less? Absolutely. 
thanks to inflation. But is it going to be worth nothing? No, I don't think we'll see that. But we will see, again, higher interest rates for longer. We could see a, a repeat or a rhyming, as Mark Twain would like to say, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes, of the 1970s economy. The way things are shaping up, high energy prices, high inflation, uh, slow economy, I think we're probably looking at much more of that type of economy than anything else, most similarly. And I'm not the only one that thinks that. We can take lessons from that history and what, what does well. Well, again, fixed assets are going to thrive. Stock market was really rough in, in the 1970s. Real estate was really r- tough. But fixed in assets thrived. Some of you are old enough to remember getting double digits in CDs, and you could get that back in the 70s. I predict we may see that some of that type of stuff again. We're headed that way, certainly. Bonds, dividend, things that pay dividends. But anything dividend-related, interest rate-sensitive assets certainly will thrive in a high-interest rate environment. Dividends from the personal bank policies definitely will thrive in that type of environment. Again, going back historically, uh, in a normal interest rate environment, 7 to 8% is the norm. And double digits we saw in the 70s, absolutely. The other thing, though, that makes the personal bank policies fairly unique is their tax benefits. You can set these up grow your money, and access your money and pass it on to heirs, by the way, all income tax-free if it's set up properly, which, of course, we do. Now, why is that so important? Many of the other fixed assets, CDs, various things, bonds, whatever, have taxability. You can get tax-free bonds, but they usually are are tax-free for either state, I should say state or federal, but not both. But anyway, being income tax-free is going to have a huge impact, I believe, or benefit, the future tax liabilities that we're all going to face is also another highly questionable and high-risk situation. As a government, this debt spiral continues and the cost of interest on the debt spirals out of control, the bond buyers are going to balk. They're going to say, hey, they're going to increase, keep increasing rates where they're going to say, you know what, we don't, we don't want to buy these anymore because there's just too much risk. And unfortunately, that whole cycle is, like I said earlier in the previous segments, is accelerating much faster than even like the CBO was predicting. Uh, the deficit's going to be 50% higher in 2024 than they were predicting just a year ago, or not even a year ago. This whole thing's accelerating even faster. When the bond buyers say, hey, we're not willing to pay for or buy your bonds anymore, then we'll be f- the country will be forced into austerity measures. In other words, they're going to have to live within their means. And the federal government brings in about four, four and a half trillion dollars a year, and they're spending about seven. So that's the real numbers, not what the government tells you. It means it's not, it won't go to zero, but they're going to have to cut back spending from that seven, roughly, down to the four and a half. How do they raise more revenues? How does a government raise more revenues if they can't print more? Raise taxes. That's their other avenue, isn't it? If you have a tax-free asset, then it won't matter. If they doubled taxes, two times zero is still zero, isn't it? My point is, this will your personal bank policies will shield you from future increased tax liability, which I believe, due to the government debt, and most particularly the interest on that debt, the likelihood of increased taxes becomes greater and greater as we go forward. So not only are you eliminating market risk with these policies, you're taking advantage of increased 
uh, interest rates. So your, your rates of returns are increasing, but it's doing it on a tax-free basis also. So you now are shielding yourself from future tax liability. Most assets will not do that. So as we go forward, this is going to become more and more valuable, I firmly believe. And I don't think we're that far away from it. People used to think we were still maybe years, if not decades or more away from it. The way things are going, I think it's going to happen a lot sooner in terms of the tax liability, this interest rate spiral. Contact me for more information. I can help you, shield you from this, drive through this high interest rate environment, potential higher taxes. Stay tuned to next week's show as we'll always have great information. And as long as it's on our money, in God we trust. Listen Tuesdays at noon and Saturdays at 1 to the Your Personal Bank Show for more information. Contact Ference at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. This show is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information. The presenter and guests of this program do not engage in legal, accounting, or tax advice. Professional advice regarding your situation should be sought if required. Some products discussed may have limitations and not be available in all states. Excessive unpaid loans may affect performance. Distributions may become taxable if not managed properly. Replacements may not be suitable for everyone. There may be charges when replacing coverage. Dividend rates and bank line of credit rates may change. For current rates, contact Ference at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. Again, that's 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.